morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to today's episode of Musings with Jesus. My name is Shola. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me. I hope you're well. I hope all is good with you in your world. Today, I want to talk about the three witnesses. And um, this is something that I've wanted to muse on for a while. I've actually, I think, done a musing on this like 18 months ago, a year or two years ago. Um, I think it was the same title, The Three Witnesses, and I think it was the same scripture, but I mean, that's it doesn't stop us from doing it again because God is bringing me back to the scripture now. And I have a then when I meditated on it or reflected on it and we did this um, musing, definitely I was in a different place, a different space. And the focus that was coming out to me on that was different from what I'm going to share. So I'm just going to read the scripture that I'm going to talk about, you know, how this has come to be top of mind for me at this time and what God has been talking to me about, what he's been showing me, what I've been learning as well. So this whole First John 5, by the way, if you have the opportunity, read the entire chapter because actually the whole first book of John, and I don't mean the gospel parts, the first John towards the end, just before Revelation, um, it's... It's a very special part of the New Testament Bible because it just talks about God. It talks about Jesus in a way that, I don't know, he reinforces what has been said in the Gospels and in the Apostles, but he also um, enriches it in a very, very... In fact, the language of this book of John and the other and the Gospel of John, even though some biblical authors say it may not be the same John, but they seem to read the same to me because they talk about Jesus Christ in a very personal way. It talks about, you know, his divinity. It talks about, you know, the Trinity, how just how God works with the Spirit and all that really comes out in this first John, just like it does in the Gospel of John as well. So anyways, let's start reading from so I would have loved maybe I should start reading from verse one actually because I think the context of the scripture I want to go to verse eight. So first John five eight is the main um is it eight yes it is the main um verse i want to read but i think it's important to go through the context so let's start from verse one right from the very beginning as julie andrews and sound of music would say in her song so starting from verse one everyone who believes that jesus is the christ is born of god and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Excellent. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commandments. Uh, you know, again, this is what I like about the John Gospels, because he, he or the books of um, John, they, 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 they narrow in on what is most important. So you see those two verses already. It says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and we carry out his commands. So God is he's making it very clear here that, to love God is not to wake up every morning and say, Oh, I love you, Lord, and I lift my hands to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. It's not just singing to him. It's not going to church every Sunday. It's not doing good works. It's obeying God. And Je- I mean, Jesus said that thing. He said, he said How is it that you, you say you love me and you do not do the things that I say? Where God is concerned, love is obedience. So anything that makes me disobey God, continuously constantly as a lifestyle i don't love god you do you understand and honestly when you look at it in real terms so so god is a god that you know he he and in fact oh Lord, i'm getting really excited now because even in real life i find out that 
when we, we've put so much premium on people saying i love you that that is why it has become subject to abuse because we focus on the words and not on the actions and that's how many of us get into all kinds of you know relationships that we shouldn't have been in because we were so invested in those words and those words meant nothing but there are people who will never say to you i love you but their actions demonstrate that love and that's what god is saying here that if you love me you will do the things that are pleasing in my sight you wouldn't want to hurt me you wouldn't want to stand against me you wouldn't want to do the things that are playing toward to, to, towards the agenda of the enemy. It would be your heart's desire. I mean, look at it like a child. No, every parent does what they know is in the best interest of that child. You will never meaningly hurt a child. So God says, if you love me, to love God is to carry out his commands. Finish. Verse 3 now says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, he's not asking you to do things that are, you know, so difficult for you to do. He says, for everyone that is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I have had a very personal illustration of this fact in my life recently, apart from a number of things that have happened which i have talked about on and off in this podcast recently i mean the authority recently i had an experience whereby i had to really stand against you know the onslaught of the enemy some things that the enemy was doing some manifestations some operations that were very very negative spiritually and what i found out was that the only rights that i had over these negative spiritual operations was my faith in God, the power of the word, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus. That's the only way. I mean, I can't, you can't use willpower. I tried to use willpower to address these things. It didn't help. I tried to use natural mindset and, and sense and counseling. It did not help. Everything that I knew to do naturally and even from the wisdom of others I tried. The only thing that dealt with this was the name of Jesus, faith in the name of Jesus, the word of God, the spirit of God, the blood of Jesus. And that is why we are talking today about the three witnesses. It's becoming really clear to me. And these are things that I honestly I knew before in the past. So I now realize that all these past 10 years I was a backslidden Christian who was active in church, just going through the motions, but I was completely backsliding because the fundamental principles of the Bible, the word of God, spiritual warfare, authority of a believer, those faith principles that we were taught in the early days of the revival in Nigeria, in the late 80s and early 90s, I had lost it. And it's not only me. I think many of us who were part of that revival had lost it because we then got caught up in that in the entire thing that has taken over the the church in Nigeria, where we're now doing something else. That's the best way I can put it. Faith principles, the principles of the gospel out of the window. That's why you see no evangelism going on, no outreach going on. Christians are living exactly like any other person. The only difference is that we go to church on Sundays for a few hours, we sing and dance, and then we go back to our lives and live exactly like the people 
who do not believe in Jesus. There is no difference. And most Christians today, if they if they don't even need to be pushed to the world, they will do anything if you give them enough money to do it. They will. There is no morality code. It's about is it in my interest or not. Very self-centered. That whole oh heaven is my home, earth is it? That's not. It's not even in our thinking. And what it has done is it has made us very weak spiritually, extremely weak. It doesn't mean that people will still not get testimonies for things, you know, that, you know, like, oh, I prayed, I got a job, God helped me, I got a visa. Yes, you will still get all those things because those things are, how would I say, they they look like big testimonies. But when you will know the worth of your faith is when certain types of challenges happen. That's when you will know that the real spiritual power that we are supposed to have, the kind that Jesus demonstrated when he walked through the streets of Galilee, you will know that we don't have it anymore. And the reason why is because we have departed from the faith. We've departed from the word of God, departed from the love of God, departed from the spirit of God, departed from the power, the love, and the purity in the blood of Jesus. We're doing something else. And the most important thing I think that differentiates um, separates the ability and i'm talking from a place of i'm not talking about pointing figures at other people i'm saying this from a place of personal experience i this is what happened to me and but i was not alone it is what has happened because i mean it wasn't like i wasn't an outlier i was going with everybody else we all is like you know we all followed that path and it's it took it took problems in life for me to realize that where I was, was not where I used to be. And it was not where God wanted me to be. So I'm just buttressing what First John 5 verse 4 says. That everyone that is born of God overcomes the world. And that the only victory that can over, that has overcome the world is our faith. Faith in God and his word. Not faith in man. Not faith in the church that I go to. Not faith in the people that I go to. Not faith to who that stands, you know. Or I think is the person that speaks for no, is faith in God, Word, Jesus, and he says, "Who is he that overcomes God? Only the one who believes that Jesus is Son of God. Not he that believes that one man is the person that God has chosen to speak." I, I hope you are following me. <laughs> and like I said, there are some kind of trials you will face in life. You will understand what I'm saying. And if what I'm say, saying is t- sounding strange, then it means that you have not yet had that kind of wilderness experience that makes you really know whether you are really a Mount, I mean, my Mount Zion Christian or something else, you know. So verse 6 now says, this is the one who came by water and the blood. So he's describing who Jesus is by water, meaning the blood, um, the word of God. He says he did not come by water only, but by water and the blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is truth. For there are three that testify. The spirits, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. It says, we accept human testimony. But God's testimony is greater because it is, his tes- it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Now, he says that there are three that testify on the earth. The spirit of God which we have received. Jesus Christ came. He went back and went back to heaven after his resurrection and sent back the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of John, verse 14, verse 6, I mean, chapter 14, chapter 16, Jesus talked extensively about the Holy Spirit, who he was, 
when he comes, what he will do. And in the book of um, Acts chapter 4, we see how the Holy Ghost came and then came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost and how he then began to just do things in the lives of the believers. We also recognize that the Holy Spirit was operating in the lives of the apostles in the same way as he had been operating in the life of Jesus through all the miracles and everything. So it says the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement that they testify upon the earth. Let me read the rest up till verse 12. It says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony that God has given about his own Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Very, very strong statements being made here. And it goes on. In fact, this entire chapter, um, chapter talks about faith in the Son of God. And it just gives a lot of very strong spiritual principles that until you begin to interrogate and interface and practice these things, you will not fully understand. So I recently had this experience where, for instance, there had been something, like I said, I'd been going on. I'd been trying to deal with it. I, I'd even tried to confess the word of God authority, you know. But what I've realized, which is why when the Bible says there are three that testify on earth. Now, that water is talking about the word of God. So let's say the spirit, the word, and the blood. The three of them, because the word of God, the Bible, we have it here. So that is a testimony. It's a witness of God. You open the Bible, that's God's witness looking at you there. And God gave it to the world over a period of centuries now put together in bible different scrolls all put together it is god's witness on earth so even if you don't have access to the spirit of god which is also possible you don't you do not understand the blood of jesus that's also possible you have you will most likely have access to the word of god through the bible it is the most low entry how would i say access that you can have to the spiritual things of god that is the first witness the second witness is the blood so the blood of jesus that was shed on this earth and we know that blood can be a witness because the bible tells us in the book of genesis that when cain slew abel god said the voice of the brother's blood abel's blood was crying out to him even in heaven blood does cry out particularly when it is shed unjustly the blood of jesus that was shed on this earth and recently in the last two episodes that we did the lord was making me realize why it was important i mean because jesus was killed in such a gruesome way although i know that in those days that was what they were doing because they didn't have guns you know which sort of like does it quiet and i mean not quiet but you know like one shot no blood sometimes you know but jesus was killed in the most bloody way you know and i guess crucifixion was the thing there but i always wondered why that way why did it have to be okay so yes he had to suffer because that was it was written that way but now that i realized the impact of that blood his blood needed to be shed because it was he was a sacrificial lamb so in those days in the old testament days when the animals were killed their blood was what was used for an atonement temporary covering for the sin the blood needed to be shed it wasn't just it wasn't about the dying it was about the spilling of the shedding of the blood so that blood is a witness and it was shed on this earth. So it is on the record that the son of man, the son of God, son of man came onto this earth. He was killed by the devil, his cause and his earthly agents on earth. And they spilled the blood of the only begotten son. It is a very powerful witness. 
it's a witness against the forces of darkness. And as I, the book of is it Corinthians or that's one of those or collusions says that if they had known the princes of this world, in other words, which the, the, the Bible calls them the princes of this world, it means the, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the devil and his people. If they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because that act of crucifixion, even if they were going to kill him, maybe they would not have because that scripture as it says it, it did not that scripture actually says they would not have crucified. Because that crucifixion process played to God's purpose and agenda for Christ. Because it cost maximum blood to be shed. It was shed through the crown of thorns on his head, which, by the way, they didn't put a crown of thorns on the other um, um, people that were crucified with him. That was purely on him alone because he said king of the Jews. The Lord allowed it because his blood needed to be shed. So more blood was probably was spilled out through Jesus, simply because there were more. Then they had even lashed him with stripes beforehand. So he's, even before he was crucified, blood was already spilling. He had stripes on his back, blood coming out through there. They put a crown of thought on his head, blood spilling out through there. And then they crucified him, hands and feet. And before he died, a soldier went and pierced his side. We're told that blood and water even came out then. Why water came out? But again, these are all things that... I, in fact, I think I need to go and read that scripture that talks about the fact that water came out of his side. So, meanwhile, all those things did not happen to the other prisoners. So, even though he was crucified and crucifixion was a way of being crucified at the time, Jesus had suffering that was more than the crucifixion. His death was more gruesome than the normal crucifixion process for most people. In fact, that's probably why they said that by the time the soldiers came, usually they would have to break the legs to ensure the person died. But by the time they came, they saw that Jesus had already passed on. Because yes, the blood, as in I'm sure all the blood had already emptied out of him. So his process, even though it was crucifixion, but his process of crucifixion was a different one, was involved a whole lot more suffering. So he was tortured, he was tormented. And the most important thing is that his blood, which was a very sacred blood, was a very spiritually significant blood, was shed. So where am I going with all of this? That blood is a witness upon this earth. That blood is what has won the atonement of our sins. There are Hebrews 6, Hebrews 9 talks about this. Hebrews 9, 14. That blood was a, the whole of Hebrews talks about the significance, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament talks about the significance of the blood of Jesus. And even Jesus before he died, before that blood was shed, told us that this blood is the blood of the New Testament, the new covenant that allows us to now become the the children, gives us the power to become the sons of God. It is the shedding of the blood that makes it possible. So the blood is not just the blood that was shed. It's the blood of the new covenant. The only reason I am a Christian today, I am a child of God, I am a disciple and I consider myself to be all of that is because that blood was shed on earth for me. So me, while I am on earth now, I can benefit, I can... What's the word now? I can take everything appropriate and take everything that that blood won for me 
and Jesus in 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 the book of Corinthians when he talks about the when he takes them through the new covenant the um, communion he says this is the New Testament in my blood um, as often as you show this you show the Lord's death until he comes so Jesus encouraged his disciples to celebrate the shedding of his blood through the eating and the drinking of the Holy Communion so that we continue to proclaim the power in that blood the death and the resurrection and the impact of it upon our lives. I recently realized that I hadn't taken the body and the blood of Jesus in the sacrament of of Holy Communion for a very long time. And there was a particular thing that I had been dealing with, that I had been trying to deal with in every other way, and it wasn't seeming to work. I kept talking to the Lord, what's going on? Why can't I? What's going on here? And what I'm beginning to realize now is that when you're handling, when you're dealing with problems that have a spiritual connotation or a spiritual undertone or a spiritual, you know, enforcer, there's something enforcing it that is spiritual. It's not just, oh, about personality clashes, earthly or natural things. There's a spiritual undertone or even overtone maintaining, enforcing, sustaining, you know, preventing, preserving, upholding that situation or causing it or enabling it, you know. You need the Spirit of God to tell you what to do. And I think that's the one thing that I think that nuance, I think, has been lost in the way we have been. Some of us, we were taught certain things in the later part of my, you know, in the the recent, most recent past. Because this, the way I see people pray most of the time now is they just pray one size fits all. The same way you pray, you know, because it worked for this person or this person, that's how he knows how to pray. I think that that one size fits all thing, I don't think it works for prayer. It doesn't. I, and if you, if you see scripturally, even Jesus ministered to people differently. Particularly when you're dealing with spiritual situations and challenges. With normal situations, yes, you may, well, get away with that. But if it's something that, I, like I said, there's a presence of it's being caused by a spiritual entity. You need the Holy Spirit to tell you what you need to do. And the only way you can find out is through prayer, seeking God. You may need to, I mean, just seeking the face of God and asking him. And you read, you read the word of God, that word will stir up things for you. God will not tell you to do anything that is contrary to his word for sure. So the word keeps you grounded in, but you know, in, in terms of that. But that's that um, insight on what you need to do in practical terms, as in in your own life, in that situation, the way it's manifesting and things that are going on, is only the Holy Spirit. So, anyways, the Holy Spirit led me. First of all, made me realize that I had not eaten of the body and the blood of the Lord. I hadn't done this, the communion, for a very long time. So he told me to just do it and do it at home, which is not something I normally would like to, I mean, do, but I just realized that I needed to do it. And God had said it. He actually told me weeks before I hadn't, I didn't respond. But this time around, I just thought, you know what? I've tried everything else. Maybe it's time to do, try this. By the time I now, and what I normally do, of course, since I've been saved for a long time, I know the way it works. I opened the scriptures that talked about, talk about the, the, what we call the Holy Communion, but the whole, um, how would I say, sacrament of how we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. That's First Corinthians 11. I read those scriptures. I went to the Gospels as well and read the scriptures about it. 
I even put it on audio, you know, so that I was hearing it as though a pastor was reading it for me. I, I, I was reading it myself as well. I took, you know, a piece of bread, biscuit, very dry um, cracker biscuit, and I took something, blessed it as though it was the cup um, and the, the, the bread, and I ate it. Very small piece of bread, tinsy wincy bit, and a small cup of what was black currant drink, but serving as the wine, as the cup. That Jesus talks about the cup. He doesn't call it the wine, really, because of the cup. And Jesus said, as often as you show it, you proclaim the Lord's death. As I took that cup, and I ate that body, that um, bread, I knew in my heart that... What, ha- what I needed to address had been addressed. I could feel it. I knew that something had happened spiritually. And I realized that I hadn't done this in many years and that perhaps my days of suffering would have been shortened if I had done this earlier. It is also possible that the Holy Spirit had mentioned it to me earlier and I discountenanced it, thinking it was not important. But it took me reading these scriptures and God showing it to me that actually this blood, if the devil is trying to exert his influence upon your life trying to make it look as if you have not been delivered from the authority of darkness like Colossians 1.13 says the only way is to reaffirm it in your life and once you've applied the word of God as I had done you have prayed in the Holy Spirit. You have used this first witness, second witness. The third witness is the blood. Use that blood. That one, they cannot challenge the blood because it was spilt on this earth and it was spilt immeasurably. That's the blood that speaks against them. It speaks against them. And it's a way of saying, putting oneself under the blood. In fact, the Lord had said this to me a long time ago, that there's a lot of things going on around you, but as long as you stay under my covering, it will not touch you. That's what he said. I've had cause to remember that because it actually came through what I now realize was a supernatural encounter, that word, and I didn't understand it. Even a lot of what he said to me then I'm just beginning to understand it now about the spiritual arrangements that were around me. I didn't know. Even then, I thought, you know, I just thought he was just talking. Well, normally, yes, the devil is here. He's the enemy of everybody. He hates all human beings anyway. So, you know, I didn't read any special meaning. But yes, that was true. But there was a personal context that I was oblivious to. I have now realized what he was saying. But that is even, I mean, so it's not even about, I mean, we all know that there's an adversary that is, is the enemy and all that. Some people having it in different ways than others. But what he said to me then was, I needed to be intentional about staying under the covering. And I think I had become a bit lax. So the thing is here, as a Christian, I am born again. But the devil will continue to want to encroach. That is his job. His job is not to say, okay... Yeah, they are Christians, so let me just leave her. Well, she's giving her life to Christ. His job is to continue every now and then to try to encroach. So we continue to push him back. 
we too, we go into his territory sometimes and pull some people out. You know what I'm saying? We shine the light, make things very difficult for him. But sometimes, if we lay down on our guard and we see that he's encroaching, we push him back as well. But the only way you can push him back is by the word, by the spirit and the blood. And it is only God that will reveal to you how you can do it. For me, at this time, the Lord told me I had used the word of God. I was praying in the spirit. But I also needed to do the blood because of, I don't know why. And, you know, now I understand why when Jesus, I mean, the apostles tried to cast out a, a demon from a man, they couldn't. You know, so what they had done in other cases, they tried it with this one. It didn't work. And then Jesus, they said, we're not asking Jesus. Why couldn't we cast this one out? And he said to them, this one goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. I didn't understand what he meant. But now I understand it. In fact, now as I'm talking, I just realize that I understand. What he was saying, what he was trying to say, I believe what he was trying to say is that. The second, he wasn't talking about the strength of the demon. He was talking about the context of that man. That the circumstances of what led to this guy having this situation and challenge, you need the leading of the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do. So you, before you go into it, you need to spend some time first to hear from God what needs to be done before you can actually do this. This is not something you can just go into the way you do the others. And anybody who has been involved in spiritual warfare will tell you this. It's what I too have learned over the last two or three years because I've also been dealing with stuff. Depending on the context, sometimes you can pray, you know, and again, like I said, that's the difference between a situation that is just based on the natural corruption of this world and one that is actually being enforced by certain things. But again, like I said, it all depends. Because even some that have been enforced, sometimes you can just pray and it just goes. Again, it depends on the context of the individual. You don't know what's going on in that person's life, how the person got into that situation. So you just need God. So sometimes, it, it just in the name of Jesus, it, it's gone. For some people, you need to, you know, start off with the word of God. So, you know, but it's only the Holy Spirit that will show you but the point is that what this scripture is telling us is that we have three witnesses on earth that will help us in this spiritual warfare. Actually, this chapter is really talking about spiritual warfare because it's talking about the victory that overcomes the world. And we know that the world system is evil. When he's, everything he's saying here, overcoming the world, he's not telling us that we should overcome the, you know, go and take down natural kingdoms and take over politics. I hope that's not what some Christians think because when I see some things that are happening in certain parts of the world, particularly in the US, I'm beginning to wonder, do they really think that, are they taking this thing literally? Do they think we're supposed to take over the natural kingdoms? No, that's not what he's talking about. The overcoming of the world is the world system, the corrupt world system, the anti-Christ world system. Overcoming the spiritual evil not the natural kingdoms because what god is concerned about is the soul of men it's not conquering them and their soul is still with the devil no it's about conquering the evil in their lives in their hearts and the influence of evil upon them so i'll leave it at this point at this time because i'm way over my time limit and i know that this is something we can talk about you know until jesus comes but I hope this has been bless- a blessing to you. And if it has in any way, I would encourage that you please share this with anybody that you think would also be blessed. 
and I pray that the Lord will fulfill his purpose in our lives. And I also pray that these words will get to the homes, the hearts and the lives of, of all who the Lord has purposed it to. All to his glory in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.